0: About how you can connect your faith to your everyday life. Details, details, details. <laughs> Welcome back. Today we're going to be talking about God caring about the details. If you've ever tried to read the whole Bible in a, a straight Genesis through Revelation, you may have run into this very fun book early on called Leviticus. And it very well might have put you to sleep or turned you away from 100% completion. It's the book of the law. And there's a lot of details on how to live within that book. And it's not the only place that describes how we should live. But it is a very, like, that is the sole reason for the book. That's what it describes. And oftentimes people, when they start to try to read it, they start to wonder, these things are really all that important. Does God really care about all these little things? Then what do you think?
1: Um yeah, I fall asleep during Leviticus 2. I'm just going to start by confessing that as a as a pastor. Um man, it's a hard read. That's the first thing that I think. Uh, but a, a more guys, I'm so sorry. This is just my sense of humor, and you're kind of stuck with it. Will stuck with it. My wife stuck with it. Like it's just, it's just how I am. God made me this way. So, anyways, on a serious note, so this this podcast idea actually did start from something very real, very meaningful. Um, there's another podcast actually that inspired it. This is something I've been thinking about for a long time. But this band, Wren Collective, if you haven't heard of them, great band. You should look them up has a podcast called Where's the Joy in That? And I don't want to, you know, push you away from ours, but it's also worth checking out. And so they did an episode. That's true, that's true. But anyway, they did an episode called Where's the Joy in Leviticus? And they they brought up about, first of all, I one of the most accurate lines in the world was that Leviticus has ended more cover-to-cover Bible readings than any other book in history. And I think that they are absolutely right about that. But they brought up a really good question. It was, "What are all of these laws for?" I, I mean, there's laws about literally everything you could imagine, every possible scenario. They've got it covered in Leviticus somewhere. There's some relevant law. Like, what do you do when your ox falls into a hole? You know, what if the hole belongs to your neighbor? What if you borrowed the ox? Like, there's there's laws about all of these things. There's laws about um. You know what kind of clothing you should wear. Uh, One of my personal favorites from Leviticus is mixing different types of fabric. Uh, Maybe we could do a whole episode on that one day. Uh, That sounds fun.
0: Good luck finding some way to talk about that for that long. Will, you got
1: this? You guys couldn't see it, but Will went bug-eyed when I said that. Like, this is not happening. Not (laughs) happening. Not happening.
0: But so there's all we could do an episode on all the weird laws.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: Like, don't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. Like,
1: Pretty sure it's also a bit of this.
0: Yeah, it's a weird one. I have never once considered doing that, so I'm doing really good. I'm not sinning in that way today.
1: Nice. That's always good. So, I guess the question for you this week, then, is, have you recently boiled a baby goat in its mother's milk? Guys, I'm so sorry. We're just, you know, we're a little distracted today. But anyway, so... What are all these laws for? That was the question. And, and so as we read through them, there's a lot of thou shalt nots. Uh, you know, it's this idea of don't do this. Don't do this. Don't wear these types of clothing. Don't mix these fabrics. Don't uh, you know take your neighbor's socks kind of things. And some of the restrictions, they just seem so – petty they seem so small and especially in light of having just gotten the 10 commandments which covered all the big stuff you know don't murder don't steal don't covet worship god and god alone and it's really easy to look at it and see just a long list of restrictions and it's easy to think well god just must not want us to do a lot of stuff But I want to suggest that maybe what we need to do is reframe the way that we look at the rules of the Bible, not just Leviticus, but the whole Bible. I think that Leviticus is a good example to start from just because what it shows is that God actually does care about even the most intimate details of our lives. God actually cares about what we eat, how we talk, even for the adults in our audience, even our sex lives—that's all important to God. Will you looked like you had something to say there? I wasn't sure if you were. say yeah, okay.
0: There's there's these almost literally a rule for everything that's given, and when we use the rule, the word rule, it makes it seem very like stringent. I almost feel like you're going to get your knuckle slapped with a ruler if you you break the rule. But the reality is they're more like guidelines or a framework or a fence to say like, hey, don't step outside of this. You know, you have kids don't play in the street. If you play in the street, if you see a car, everybody shouts car and you get out of the street. Simple guidelines, but they're there to keep us safe. And parents give those to the children to keep them safe. Right.
1: Yeah. So what I'm hearing when you say that they're more like guidelines is that basically Leviticus is the Jewish version of the Pirate's Code.
0: I mean, it's it's
1: more upheld than that.
0: Because oh. the Pirate's Code is that there's not a Pirate's Code, isn't it? Like,
1: oh, come on. That was a great reference to Pirates of the Caribbean. They're More like guidelines.
0: <laughs> I've seen Pirates of the Caribbean and I'm not doing the math in how many years. It's been a while.
1: 35, no less. Sorry. Continue, Will.
0: Dang, Ben. Call me old like that. I ain't even that old. Uh, yeah, so so when we start to look at it a little differently and we start to realize like these rules, these guidelines, this, it's supposed to act as a fence or a, a barrier for us. And God's like, you can go on the other side. That's called sin. It's not how you're supposed to work. You can jump over it, though. That's You're allowed to, I guess. Like, go for it. But you jump over, and then you're all of a sudden like, oh, man, I'm hurting. This sucks. This isn't good. Well, yeah, God God designated the safe area for life, and there is plenty to do within the safe area, but he has ways that are designed for us to do things. And I think that's what the heart of the law is. It's how we're supposed to safely exist, and from there we are able to explore life in a safe way. Not necessarily that we won't ever get hurt, but it's going to be minimized. It's going to be different.
1: We started this discussion off with um, Leviticus as the example, but, you know, we, especially because, you know, you want to talk about rules and guidelines, like Leviticus is full of them. Um, But we don't really follow Leviticus anymore, right? I mean, when we look at a lot of these laws as Christians, we've been told that many of them no longer apply to us. Uh, so I was wondering if you wanted to expand a little bit on like why that was. You know, we we had talked about um, in our own discussion about the moral versus ceremonial laws and things like that. So could you expand on that? Why is it that these laws are no longer applicable to us?
0: Right. So we When we approach Leviticus, we need to understand it in its context as part of the Torah. It was part of the, the Holy Book of Israel, supposed to give them guidance on who they were supposed to be to be a light unto the nations. They were supposed to be holy and set apart from all other nations. Spoiler alert, they didn't do a great job at that. Sometimes, a lot of the times, they really like to look like other people. But they were given these laws for many of these laws were for setting themselves apart. Talking about like not mixing your type of, of fabrics, like those kinds of things were to set them apart from the other nations. And, and there's a ton of stuff specifically for how to do ceremonies. I think the first three or four chapters of Leviticus is how to do your sacrifices ceremonial law, not really applicable to us. But there's this other half of the law, which is the moral law. And that's what we look at with, like, the Ten Commandments. We look at a lot of those, like, expansions upon the Ten Commandments. Because realistically, most of the Ten Commandments are covering the majority of bases. And yeah, there's, there's you know, if the ox falls in my friend's well, can I get it? You know, there's, there's the details to it, sure. But there's a lot of just expansion upon those 10, but these moral laws are still what we're supposed to be living under. Cause those are the, the framework that keeps us safe and away from sin. And I mean, the law helps us understand what is sin in the first place without the law. We don't know what's wrong. I mean, we do, but you know, if the ox is in my neighbor's well, is it wrong to go grab it? I don't know. The law helps us understand that.
1: Oh, what important issues that the law clarifies for us. So, uh,
0: and I think part of it is uh, I just want to reference it. If you're looking through Leviticus and you're having a hard time really separating those out, or maybe you've like read through it and you're like, wow, God is superimposing on all of these things, like, this is ridiculous. There's a book by Paul Copan called Is God a Moral Monster? And it really helps break down within the actual like historical setting. Kind of what's going on here and how the law was given in almost like a legislative way that would fit within the context of the ancient times. So I'd recommend that. If that's something that you have struggled with at some point, it's a great read. Fortunately, I don't own a copy of my own. I need to get a copy. I borrowed somebody's when I read it.
1: Uh, so, uh, first of all, definitely check it out. It's now on my list. So, thanks, Will, for giving me another book to read. You're um,
0: the list never ends.
1: <laughs> it really doesn't. It just keeps getting longer, and you never really check any off. But so the question then follows from all of this is. So we've got these different types of laws, and some of them still apply to us. There's these these moral laws that do apply, but there's so many of them that seem like they don't apply to us anymore, that we're not held under. And so the, the question that I was left with is, well, then does God still care about all the little details? Since there were so many laws that were about the details, that were about what we eat, about uh, who or what we have relationships with, um, you know, the things, uh, laws about the kind of language we use. Since many of them no longer apply, does God still care? And, and so my first response to that is yes, but in a very different way than he did before. You know, so I think about what you were just talking about was the idea of being set apart and about purity and things like that. And that was, the priority for the Jewish people was that they remain set apart, because that was how they were carrying the word of God. But I think the priorities kind of changed after Jesus. After Jesus came, it wasn't just about uh, preserving the word of God; it wasn't about um, you know preserving the the holy way, but about bringing heaven down to earth. And so those little things, the things about like, oh how we eat, what we wear, all of those things, they still matter. Uh, In the New Testament, for example, we don't really see prohibitions on food. In fact, Jesus actually lifted the prohibitions on food. Uh, Peter had the, the vision of all the unclean foods and he's like, Lord, I can't eat any of this stuff. I've never had anything unclean in my life. And Jesus tells him what God has called unclean, but Or what God has called clean, let no man call unclean. And he commanded Peter to arise, kill, and eat. The hunter's favorite Bible verse. Um, But even though he lifted some of the prohibitions on what we could eat, he still cares about the food that we eat. For example, gluttony is still a sin. You know, there are still rules about the food that we eat because God still cares about those details. Uh, you know, there's a lot of language in the Old Testament about what sorts of words to use in worship, what sorts of words to use in different ceremonies and rituals. And maybe those things have been lifted. Maybe we don't need to ascribe to those as much. But in the New Testament, we are told to not have any coarse or filthy language come from our mouth. We're told to avoid certain types of jokes. We're, We're told not to speak critically to others, but instead to speak life into the world. And so, again, we see even though the language has changed, God still cares about these little details about what we say, about what we eat, about how we dress. I mean, heck, even we're told uh, not to dress distractingly in church, you know, because it's like we the church isn't supposed to be about us. So God cares even about these little things. Um, And then Jesus also specifically talks a lot about what it looks like to Live these laws out about the food, about the sex and relationships, about the language. Um, Will, I think you had something to say a little bit about the the Sermon on the Mount there. I That's kind of a, you know, just a little part of the gospel, a little part of Jesus's teachings. and uh,
0: Matthew chapter five through seven is probably my favorite section in Matthew, because you really have Jesus sitting down talking about like the ethics of the kingdom how is the kingdom supposed to work because he's he's sitting there and he's like look you have heard it said in whether he is taking a old testament teaching exactly word for word or there was this other book called the tanakh which was more or less it was a, a almost like a commentary like how do we actually live out these old testament laws Still concerned, how do we live it out? That's very good to be on their mind. However, Jesus comes to him and is like, look, you've heard it said, like, you do it this way. But actually, you're missing the point here. Because you're trying to follow the letter of the law, not the heart of the law. And this whole section, he's talking about this this approach to how we're supposed to live. I mean, if you so much as look lustfully upon somebody, you have sinned. And then he doesn't even mess around when he's talking about how do we solve these things. He's like, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Jesus is still pretty intense about these things. And I don't think that we can approach Jesus in who he is, especially looking at that and say he doesn't care about how we live. He's pretty straightforward with like, even your thoughts are important.
1: Yeah, for for sure. He does not mince words. And and I I think that's a big part, not not think, I know, that's a big part of, you know, what upset so many people about Jesus and, and his ministry is that he said, all of these things matter. You know, the world may tell you, look, but don't touch. But I tell you, don't even look. You know, the world may tell you, it's okay to be angry, just don't hurt the guy. But I say being angry at your brother in your, in your heart is like murdering him in your heart, you know? And so there's, there's just so much that he's saying, like all these little things that you are overlooking, they matter to me, they matter to God, and they're important for you too. And, and so I think we've kind of really, we've really hammered in this point. Like the details matter. They mattered in the Old Testament. They matter in the New Testament. They matter to Jesus. They matter to Paul. They matter to God. Like, it's very clear. I just listed Paul along with Jesus and God. And I just want to be clear. I'm not trying to blaspheme here. I'm you just saying. <laughs> me,
0: man, Paul No, 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 no,
1: no. That's not. To the seventh heaven or whatever, but. No, but what I what I meant by that is that like, you know, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. So it's like, it's very clear in the writings of Paul <laughs> that these things matter to Jesus. They matter to God. All the little stuff matters that like we've, we've hammered that in. But the question that still remains is why, why does God care about little things? And I think it's a question that's been asked a lot of the church. Um, you know, people will say, why does God care who I have a relationship with? Why does that matter to him? If God is the God of the universe, he's God of everything, big, alpha, and omega, like all this, why does he care who I have a relationship with? You know, in, in the grand scheme of the universe, the universe is trillions, maybe more, of, of stars and galaxies, and and Earth is just one little tiny blue marble, and I'm a speck of dust on that little blue marble in the cosmic infiniteness of the world, why does it matter what I eat? <laughs> you know, um, and I think it's I think it's a fair question. I think it's a fair question for people to ask, and they they want to know why does God care about all this little stuff. Um, and I, and unfortunately, I think a, I think a lot of the answer that people get is just well, because if you do this, you're going to go to hell. That's why it should matter to you. And Will's over there laughing because he knows he's heard it before, um, but. I- I'm
0: laughing, I saw a meme the other day that was. Uh, I, if I can find it again, we'll we'll post it with the episode. But it was the the guy that's like, two things that are the same thing, but he's like, we're not the same, and he's like, you worship Jesus to not go to hell. I worship Jesus because I want to give him a high five and a hug for all he's done for me.
1: Ooh, we are not. The same.
0: Amen. Amen. Yeah, just the way you described it made me yeah. think of that.
1: Uh, <laughs> Well, so, like, oh sorry <laughs> the, the
0: quickest answer to that question this why why does God care he loves you he created you and he knows what's best for you because like he created you it's almost like he has uh, some great insight on humanity and knows what's good for us what's bad for us and can easily tell us hey, that's not good for you. And we, like, anybody who has kids can say, like, just because you tell a kid it's not good for them, they still want to do it. We like the thing. We do. But God does legitimately care. He cares about the details. Because he loves you. And he wants to see the best for you. He wants you to live out the best possible life. And Best might be a bit of perspective because I'm sure there are people out there that think the best possible life means lots of money means lots of power. That's not what God's heart is after. God's best possible life is love and joy and peace and it's a wonderful thing and he wants it for you, but he's gonna let you choose to go do whatever you want to do.
1: I think that's a that's a big part of it that we often overlook. Is I, I think when we start from all the rules, what we see is God just wants to tell me what to do with my life. God just wants to tell me what I can and can't do, and we miss that. Ultimately, at the core of all of these things is that well, no, He doesn't just want to boss you around. He doesn't need to boss you around. I mean, if he if he wanted to, he could just make it disappear. He could he could unalive you whenever he wants to. So. <laughs> Um, it's not a matter of God wants to boss us around, uh, but it's that he loves us and he knows what's best for us. And he also knows what's worst for us because, because God is infinite in wisdom and infinite in knowledge. And he knows the, the intricate ways of the universe and ways we can't even fathom. God can see what we call the slippery slope. Now, if you guys know anything about arguing or debating, uh, if you took any kind of classes on that in college, you're probably familiar with the phrase "slippery slope" as a logical fallacy. Uh, it's not actually an argument, but a slippery slope is a harsh reality when you're standing on it. And so God can see where the actual slippery slopes are. It's not. It's not a debate tactic. It's a. It's a very real thing. Of there are positions that we get into in life, where we take one step. And it starts us on a downhill slide that's very hard, if not impossible, to stop. And so this is part of why God cares about all these details. Because there's so many little things that we would often overlook the way that we talk, the way that we dress, the things that we eat. And God says, no, I know that this seems like it's unimportant to you, but I'm telling you that this is a way that's going to lead to your death. This is going to be something that leads to pain for you. Um, there's a, there's a great song by the band Casting Crowns called Slow Fade. And it's, it, it reads a little eerily when you don't hear it in the song. Will heard me reading it and was like, what the heck kind of poem is this? But, uh, there are some lines in it. It says, Be careful little eyes what you see, because it's the second glance that binds your hands as darkness pulls the strings and, and be careful little ears what you hear. When flattery leads to compromise, the end is almost near. And there's, there are several lines throughout this uh, song that are like that. But it's this idea of it doesn't ever start with something big. Typically, when people fall away, typically when people get into serious trouble with God, with their work, with their relationship, with their health, it starts with a small step. It's, it's a slow fade. Uh, And the the ultimate line of the song is people never crumble in a day. People don't just crumble in a day. And so when we see all these restrictions, we we look at it and we say, God, how could it matter? How could, uh, you know, the way that I talk lead to death? And, you know, so this is where I I think of like a a good modern example, a modern understanding of this could be, um, I use the example of how I talk with my friends at work. now. My friends at work, we're all pretty. We're all pretty chill. We can kind of say anything to each other, and it's just gonna roll off. But I have two options. I can walk into the room and I can say, "What's up, losers?" and they're just gonna probably laugh, and they're not gonna think anything about it, hopefully. Or I can walk up and say, "Hey, what's up? what's up, good looking? What's up, handsome?" and they might smile. It might make their day better. Uh, individually, those words may not matter, but cumulatively. When they're constantly hearing insults and sarcasm and critical things, even if said jokingly, starts to pile up and pile up and pile up. And you never know like, what they're going through. You never know what they've heard already. You never know when's going to be that straw that breaks the camel's back. Even something as small as a word, a casual insult or joke or sarcastic comment, could be the thing that pushes somebody over the edge. It could be the one thing that they just could not handle hearing that day that wrecks their life. We can't see that, but God can. And that's why he cares about what we say. And He says, let no coarse or filthy language come out of your mouth. Because he doesn't want us to be that one little thing I can't handle. He doesn't want to be that slow fade or to start that slow fade. Uh, Well, what are some other examples here uh, of like where people like something little can kind of just lead to a landslide.
0: I mean, a lot of it comes down to, you know, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago where like what you're saying, what you're talking about will eventually like fill up your heart, come out. And, you know, I, I personally look at the example of like crude jokes and language, like profanity, you know, the the reality is if somebody one time subs their toe, screams out profanity one I'll laugh because I think profanity is hilarious when people are just like ah! that's messed up I'm sorry it, it's what I do I'm really bad about people that are in pain I'm sorry <laughs> but like okay it happens and you move on it okay whatever but when it becomes like a normal thing and people are saying it every I'm like whoa you know it started with stubbing your toe and like i i get that you got caught off guard you got caught out like you said something you should but now you're you're talking about it in regular language that's a a very quick thing that happens and like i don't want to be around that because i don't want that to get into me for me to then be saying it
1: i think an- another big one is um physical health Where you know, we forget sometimes as Christians, like we actually are commanded to take care of our bodies, Uh, we're supposed to be good stewards of creation. And uh, surprise, surprise, your body is an act of creation, it is part of creation, we're supposed to take care of it. But you know, you watch shows like the I think what was it, My 600 Pound Life, something like that.
0: Something like that. There's a couple of those out there, there's a lot of shows out there
1: like that. Those people didn't just wake up one day and they're 600 pounds and literally can't move, it starts with you know, I'm just going to eat fast food today because I just really need a double bacon cheeseburger. And then, you know, it's it's little choices that just keep piling up. You know, maybe I really want that triple cheese mac and cheese right now because I'm a little down in the dumps. I think I'm going to have four servings of ice cream tonight because I had a rough day. And then one day you got heart failure. You're having a stroke. You're having all sorts of health problems. And it it's not that, you know, one bowl of ice cream is going to just make your life fall apart. But that's why God cares about things like gluttony. It seems like such a a small thing, right? Why would God care what I eat? Why does God care what I put in my body? But the reason he tells us, well, don't be a glutton is because it's going to hurt us. It's going to hurt us. And and as a a loving father, he doesn't want us to hurt ourselves. He doesn't want us to, to be unhealthy. And more importantly than that, what he does want is for us to experience the blessing of being healthy. When we choose not to live that way, we also get to experience the blessings of God. We get to experience life in a fuller way because we're not living unhealthily, because we're not living in a way that leads to death. Uh, I think it's Paul Paul that said, the wages of sin is death. Um, I don't remember exactly where that came from in the Bible, but is it Romans? Yeah. The wages of sin is death. It's physically, sometimes that literally it, it is the wages of sin is physical death. Sometimes it's an emotional death. Sometimes it, it's uh, language that can lead to, or content that can lead to depression and anxiety. Sometimes it's a, a spiritual death. It can just lead us away from God. Um, but again, it's just those little things uh, I, I had one more, but I kind of wanted to save it for the last one. Will, do you have anything else about, you know, other examples of this where the little things kind of lead to the crumble?
0: Yeah, I, I think it really does go back to just little things in general. You know, there are so many laws out there and and it can seem very overwhelming to look at and be like, how the heck do I live that? Heck, it's it's hard enough just to look through scriptures and I know this is a challenge that I have taken on, uh, and I know many pastors that have done it as well. That are like, when I am preaching on a text, my goal is to live out this text as best I can for the week beforehand. Some weeks that's really easy because it's don't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. And you're like, Whew, I got this in the bag. It's easy. Sometimes you're preaching on Lamentations, and it's a lament. It's sad, and trying to live that out. Sometimes it's the Sermon on the Mount, where it says, "Don't even think about somebody lustfully. If you look at them lustfully, and then all of a sudden, like you bring these things to the forefront of your mind, you're thinking about them. Whatever it is within Scripture, and you start to pay attention to it in your own life, and then you'll quickly realize, like, man, this is applicable. This does affect my everyday life. This is what's going into my heart and my soul." And this is what's eventually going to come out. So I can't afford to give up the little things. I can't afford to partake in just a little bit of lust. A little bit of greed. A little bit of anything that we could identify as, as a sin. Like, I, I can't I can't let a little bit of hate in. Because those things build. It's like rolling a, a giant snowball down a hill. I don't know if they actually build as much, but like, yeah. They they, they do. really
1: do. Uh yeah, it's it can be pretty bad if you get it going get, for a get long a time. Nice
0: big hill. Yeah. Yeah. It's been way too long since I've had the chance to do it. But like things build up, and though they seem so little, like that's why God tells us don't go outside of these boundaries. Stay within here because in here is safe, it's good, it's healthy, and in this space, I can promise you're gonna live a better life. And it might look better outside, outside the boundaries, living in sin, living in outside of the, the details that God provides for us. It's supposed to like the world's trying to make it look appealing. Uh, it's not, though.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm glad you, you specifically mentioned uh, the the lust passage and all of that, because that was that that was the one last thing that I did want to bring up here with this. And, you know, an area where details matter little things matter um one of the most one of the most challenged concepts that I get when I talk with uh, particularly with other men but I've, even women too have talked about this uh, with christianity is this idea that Jesus says of like don't even look and so again you get the challenge of why does it matter why does it matter if i look and Jesus says that to even look at someone with lustful intent is to commit adultery in your heart and so people might ask well you know i can I can look as long as I don't touch it. why does it matter if i look what what's the harm in that? but this is one of those areas where again, it's like every affair that's ever happened, every relationship death that was caused by another woman, the other man, whatever it was, it started with a lustful look. it doesn't start. With, you know, two people just all of a sudden they're in a relationship outside of their marriage. It starts with the look. And Jesus is saying, don't let your guardrail be or don't let your limit be. Oh, well, I'm just not going to have an affair. He says, you got to start all the way back here. You got to start with the small things. Don't even look at them that way. Because those details matter. And what I'm trying to stop you from doing is walking into relationship death. But again, you know, it's easy, to, it's easy to see the the consequences of it. But also we have to remember that Jesus isn't just trying to help us avoid spiritual death or relationship death. But he wants us to have a relationship life. You know, he wants us to have a fuller, happier relationship. And so, you know, to all those people who would say, well, why does it matter if I look? I would also challenge him to say, how much happier would your relationship be if you were satisfied with just your spouse? How much more life would be in your relationship if you only had eyes for the person that you were in a relationship with? And uh, that's, that's what Jesus wants for us. That's why he makes a big deal out of it. That's what the, the, the details matter because he's trying not just to help us avoid death, but he's also trying to bring us life. Well, do you have anything else before we start bringing this to a close?
0: It's just that if you do go and read Matthew 5-7, through 7, great section of scripture. You should go read it. As soon as this is done, pick it up, go read. Or if you're in the car, put it on audio Bible, read it. We often look at things at their outward appearance. We look at actions. And be like yeah that's that's wrong. That's the sin. But in that section. Jesus points that sin back to our heart. You even think about it. You even look at somebody like that. You're already committing the sin. You're already stepping outside of the boundaries. That are healthy for you. And so the challenge is to know ourselves and know that what's going on inside is just as important as what's going on outside because what's going on inside is what's going to eventually take place outside you continue to look lustfully you might end up doing something that you know you shouldn't and we'll all look at it from the outside being like wow you did the thing but that thing didn't happen out of nowhere you look at somebody with malice and hate and then maybe you end up hurting them Most people don't just randomly hurt people out of nowhere. It builds up. Jesus is concerned with the heart. And that's where we need to be careful of our boundaries. That's where we're supposed to be building them.
1: So as you think through this, as you think through all the the details that Scripture calls our attention to, uh, I want to encourage you to not view scripture and, and especially, you know, books like Leviticus, stuff like the Sermon on the Mount, the Ten Commandments. Don't look at them as a list of restrictions. Don't look at them as just a list of rules. It's not that God is trying to tell you what you can and can't do. Because ultimately, what you got to remember, I don't know if Will ended up getting to say this or not, but what was the one who came up with it. It's not God that you're hurting with your sin. yourself. When God put those restrictions in place, it wasn't because he was trying to protect himself from you. It's because he's trying to protect you from yourself. He's trying to protect you. And so when we read these things, they're not restrictions. It's God trying to help us avoid death emotionally, spiritually, mentally, relationally, physically, and also to have life. There's a great passage in 1 John 1, 5 He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There is no death with God. And God's goal for us is to have life. And John 10, 10 says it's to have life abundantly. He doesn't just want to avoid death, but he also wants us to have a life, a full life, the best life we can possibly have. And like Will said, that that word best, it's a little subjective. But it's not our idea of a best life. It's God's idea of a best life. And when we take time, we pay attention to those details. We pay attention to those little things. And we follow him even in the nitty gritty details. That's when we get to the life that he wants us to have. Which is really the best life we can possibly have. Thanks again for listening this week. We'd like to give a special thank you to Travis D'Amato for both our theme music and sound editing. If you like either, you can find and contact him at Music 93 on Instagram. That's D-A-M-A-T-O, Music 93. Remember to follow us on social media at Everyday Faith Podcast. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to share it. We're always looking for feedback to help us grow and we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening to the Everyday Faith Podcast.